Thank you so much, team, for leading us, and it's a blessing to gather together and to worship King Jesus. And if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Mark chapter 11. So if you will join me there, uh, Pastor Charlie just read through our passage this morning, and uh, we're taking a little bit of a break from walking through the book of Acts uh, for these next couple Sundays. And uh, so thrilled that you're here, uh, especially excited to have my sweet friends and family, uh, Brian and Carrie Robertson, uh, here today. And they've spent the morning with us and uh, had a great time last hour just investing in marriages. And, and uh, they're going to share a little later, too, as we wrap up. But just so thankful you are here, and thanks for making the trip. And I love you all so, so much. We were talking about how long now we, uh, my family and I, we've been here. And so this past week, the Brooks family digging in here to Olive Branch, been here eight months, and we love this place. We love this city. We love this community. We love this region. We love you, our faith family, and we're just so thankful. And many of you know, in a lot of ways, this was like coming back home. I grew up in Corinth, uh, just a little ways from here. And, and so being back here, it's been so much fun going to revisit places that, that, that I've been growing up time and time and time again. But this time going back, it's just different. It's just different. Over spring break, we took our kiddos to the Pink Palace over in Memphis. And it's a classic. And, and so I remember growing up, going to that place and even going with my kids last week. They still have, like, I remember this stuffed deer, for whatever reason, it's etched in my brain in this little background, and, and they got the circus that's enclosed in the glass there, and the planetarium, and it's just so cool, and so in a lot of ways, it's like the same, but it's different going this time, maybe as a daddy, or, or just, I'm kind of, I think I'm getting kind of more sentimental, like, and so it's just, it's kind of neat, and then, and then growing up, many of you, I've mentioned it before, but I was a big Memphis State fan back in the day and so uh, when the Tigers went from the Mid-South Coliseum to the Pyramid and went to the Pyramid and to the Tomb of Doom is what they used to call it and I had my t-shirt going to watch basketball and now okay some ways it's the same the pyramid's there but going in now is totally different because there are fish swimming under your feet and there's ducks walking around and there's an elevator that goes right up in the middle of Bass Pro Shop it's it's incredible and so in a lot of ways the same, but in a lot of ways very different. And so in today's text, as we celebrate as believers Palm Sunday, Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem to celebrate the great Passover feast. A feast that he had gone to Jerusalem no less than 20 times over the years, going back and going back and going back to the same place, but this time, it is very different. And it's different because this time, this is the first day of the last week of King Jesus' earthly ministry. And he's, he's on his way to Jerusalem and it is Passover. This is Passover. And what I love about God is that there is no, uh, there's no like oops or there's no like, oh, like, Maybe this will work out like God's plan is so sovereign. And you see this especially, I believe, in light of our text today. Is that it's on this day where the Jews would be gathering in Jerusalem, the festival city, to celebrate Passover. 
that it is no coincidence that on this day with Passover beginning is also the day that King Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes as the true Passover Lamb. And so as we look at this, um, the city of Jerusalem at this time, is, is, it is bustling. Like there is energy, there is excitement. This is a big deal. Jews from all over the region, all over the known world, really would make a pilgrimage to the mountain city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Matter of fact, uh, depending on what calendar you look at, actually last night at sundown, Jews still today celebrate Passover. And so they started this Passover week, and so they still celebrate. But this Passover was significant. And and normally, the city of Jerusalem would be like 40,000 people on a non-festival time. But in festival time, Passover time, there would be as many as six times that. So there's hundreds of thousands of people that have descended or rather ascended up to the mountain city of Jerusalem. And these Jews gather because for centuries they had celebrated Passover. Passover was the great miracle of God in the Old Testament. That the people of God were under Egyptian bondage and Egyptian slavery. That God heard their cry. And so in His sovereign plan to deliver them from the bondage of Egyptian rule, He sets Him forth this plan. And what would happen is the people of God were instructed to take a lamb. And this, this lamb would be without spot and it would be without blemish. And they would take the blood of this Passover lamb and they would place the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the home. And then when God would send his wrath and his just judgment on the sin of Pharaoh, the sin of Egypt and the sin of man, that the judgment of God would pass over those homes who were covered under the blood of the lamb. And that is why we see as the people of of God over the centuries, they would celebrate this Passover feast. And God delivers them from Egyptian bondage. And I I, I love the language of the Apostle John. Uh, He's he's sharing through his gospel, John the Baptist's response when he sees Jesus coming. And the Bible says there in John chapter 1 verse 29 that John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. That Jesus Christ is the true and forever Passover Lamb. The ultimate Passover Lamb. And so we celebrate Palm Sunday. Where Christ will come as the once and for all Passover Lamb. And what's amazing, again there's no coincidence But rather it is sovereign in that on Palm Sunday on the Jewish calendar. That this would have been the day that Jewish families would have selected their Passover lamb to celebrate Passover. And they would present it as their Passover lamb. God's timing is so sovereign because on this Palm Sunday, this is where Christ, the King of glory, presents himself in the temple as the true Passover lamb. God's timing is so divine. It's so sovereign. I, I'm amazed at God's, just God's sovereignty in this passage. And so, Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem. It's Passover. And this again, he had come no, no less than 20 times before to celebrate the Mount City. But this time, it's different. This time, it's different. The theme this morning is that 
Jesus Christ is the king of everlasting peace. We're going to see that in the text. He's the king of everlasting peace. So let's look at Mark chapter 11, verse 1. The Bible says this, And when they drew near to Jerusalem, this is Jesus and his disciples, that they came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. So I want to take a quick moment and just a little context. In the Gospel of Mark, we would have learned that just before Jesus and his disciples are nearing Jerusalem, that they were in Jericho. And it was at Jericho that Christ brought healing to blind Bartimaeus. And so they would have made this journey from Jericho up to Jerusalem. Now just a little geography to kind of help. Jericho sits about 15 to 17-ish miles away from Jerusalem. Jericho sits right at the northern tip of the Dead Sea, just above it. The Dead Sea is the lowest point on planet Earth. It is 1,290 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is the mountain city. And it sits 2,600 feet above sea level. And so if you think about it, in just about 15-ish miles, I mean, that's a journey. That's work. They're climbing like this. If I mentioned earlier, if you're like a treadmill person, get that joker on incline and go for 15 miles and see how that works out for you, okay? Like they were, they were, they, they were, this was an arduous journey. But they're nearing Jerusalem, and it says they go to Bethany. Bethany, okay, if you're looking at Jerusalem, just to the east of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount since the Mount of Olives. It sits another about 300 feet above the Temple Mount, and on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives is the city of Bethany. This is the place where Jesus will spend Holy Week. This is where he will lay his head down, ultimately up through Thursday evening. It's the home of Lazarus. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and this is where they lived life. And so Christ would lay his head down here and they're making their way, but they're on their way to Jerusalem, Jerusalem. We're going to see all kinds of encouragement in this passage uh, around the king of everlasting peace. But I want us to see in this text that King Jesus is our source of peace. There are people and maybe you're one of them. You have a restlessness. There is a longing for peace. And that, that, that stress and that anxiety can come from all kinds of different avenues. Uh, one recent Gallup poll said that daily stress and worry plague the majority of American adults. That anxiety, it said, is increasing at an unprecedented rate. That anxiety disorders are the most common illness that face all Americans. And here's what's wild, is that we're not just talking about adults, we're talking about teenagers. Like no other time than before have more student age and even younger wrestled with anxiety and stress. It's at an all-time high. And, and we're reminded that, that we seek peace in all kinds of different avenues, but ultimately peace is only found in the person of Jesus. Verse 1, I want to read it one more time. Now they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Now, his, Jesus' hour had come. 
If you track through the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, you'll see multiple times that he'll say, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. He would try to be overtaken. He couldn't. One, because he's God, but his hour had not come. His hour had come. He's going public. He's going public with his kingship. And in this text, again, we see his his sovereignty. We see his omniscience. That this was God's plan all along. The entire Bible is about Jesus. The whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. 500 years before this event that we're reading about, there was a prophet named Zechariah. And Zechariah 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and he having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, the di- we, we, we have the gift of having the entire Gospel of Mark and the entire canon of Scripture. God has gifted us this, but the disciples are living in it. I mean, they're living it out. They don't, I mean, I can't imagine being amongst them and like putting all that together. But yet, but yet, I just have a hunch that we don't know what two disciples it were, but I just had this hunch that growing up as a Jew, the disciples were all Jewish, that they would have treasured the Scriptures. They would have treasured the prophecies. They have received Christ as the Messiah. And so when Christ taps on the shoulder of these two guys and says, I want you to go and I want you to get the cult. And no one has ever ridden it. My hunch, I don't know, sanctified imagination here, I just can't help but think their hearts were racing. And I just picture them going into Jerusalem and they're looking at each other. And they're just, I almost picture this grin like it's happening. It's happening. The the prophecies that we have treasured, that our ancestors have treasured over the centuries and over the years, it is happening right now. The prophecies are being fulfilled We see again the sovereignty of God, the divinity of God, the omniscience of God. He sees everything. He knows everything. Verse 2 says, And he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Now, a a warrior king, they're going to be on a warrior horse. They're going to come in as a conquering king. This is what they do. But if a king comes in peace, or a king comes in a settlement to establish peace, he would ride a donkey. That this was a symbol of peace. And so as he would come and the king, the king would, would I mean, the king could do what he wants to, but, but he would take a beast of burden. So he would take a, a mule and he would, he would take this and nobody else could ride it because only the king could ride it. And here we see King Jesus Riding in, fulfilling scripture, riding on a colt, the king which no one has ever sat on this. He's fulfilling prophecy and he is the king and he's coming. He says this again in verse 2, he says, untie it, bring it. He says to the disciples, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing? Untying the colt. And they said to them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. 
I love so much about this story. I love so much about this story. And, and in this, I love this picture of the disciples in faith going into town. And there's the donkey, just like Jesus said. And there it is, tied up, just like Jesus said. Untie the donkey, bring it to me. They're going to do just what Jesus said. Jesus said there may be people who ask you, what are you doing? What happens? People ask them, what are you doing? And what do they do? They look at each other and I'm just picturing them kind of, well, let's just tell them what Jesus told us to say. And they did. And they got the donkey there. I mean, and, and in that, I just picture them just being like in, amazed at the omniscience of God and the power of God and the word of God. That his word is truth. His promises are true. He says it. I can believe it. There is such confidence that they have in the word of the Lord. Such confidence we have as believers in the word of the Lord. And in two quick observations in this, how amazing is it that God invites us to be a part of his rescue mission? I mean, he didn't have to tap on the shoulder of those two disciples and say, hey, go get the cult. God can do whatever he wants to. And yet he allows his people to be a part of this rescue mission. He's on a mission to seek and to save the lost. That's why he's here. That's why he came. That's why he's about to get on a donkey and ride into Jerusalem. Because he came to bring salvation. And so what I love about this is this incredible reminder that God has not only rescued us as believers, but he wants to work through your life. He wants to work through your life. He wants to work through you in your workplace, in your home place, in your as-you-go place. And He invites us to be a part of that story. That is incredible. And He's sending them out. This is what Jesus told them He was going to do. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Every believer in the Lord Jesus is a missionary. Every believer in the Lord Jesus is to live sent. You've been commissioned. We've been commissioned to make Jesus known. This is why we gather. We gather to worship King Jesus, to share life, to be equipped, to go out, to live on mission, to make Him known. This is why even over the past couple weeks, we've resourced you with a, a couple, uh, whether it's inviter cards or, or just some tools to be able to help share the love of Jesus. This is why a, a, a group went to Memphis Union Mission last night from our church to to feed some delicious chicken Alfredo, and to share the gospel of Jesus. This is why on Wednesday night that we have a gathering of people that are going to go out and they're going to go door to door around these homes in our neighborhood because we want to pray with them and we pray we have the opportunity to share Jesus. God wants to use us to live for His glory and for His mission. A second though, is, and I love this, is that we can take such comfort we can take such comfort in the fact that God is so in control. He is our source of peace. Jesus holds everything together. He holds everything together. From eternity past, He set forth this plan that we're reading about. This was always the plan. This was always the plan that at this hour, on this day, that there will be a donkey. It will have never been ridden. People are going to ask, here's what you're going to say. I'm going to use it, and I'm going to bring salvation to the world. It was all a part of the plan. And so what peace, 
comes. When by grace and through the power of His Spirit as believers, we do everything He shows us to do. Everything in His strength that He shows us to do. But we trust Him with everything else. This is why no matter what happens in our world or in our nation or in our, like, all these broken things are happening all around us, listen, we can have peace. We can have peace because we know the Prince of Peace. God is in control. I love Job 42.2. I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I love that. I love that. So Jesus, King Jesus is the source of our peace. But we also see in this text His path for our peace. This is what Christ is doing. In verse 7, And they brought Him, the colt. They brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that had been cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! We just sang it. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That his path for our peace would take him down, this path down the Mount of Olives would take him through the eastern gate in the Temple Mount that will ultimately lead him to a Roman cross where he will be crucified to pay the penalty that is due for our sin. That this path will take his body from a cross to a borrowed tomb and that on the third day from that borrowed tomb, Jesus Christ raises from the dead, giving victory over death, hell, and the grave. And as He is coming, fulfilling prophecy, and they are lining the streets, Jesus is very famous at this point. And, and don't miss this, okay? The Jews have already decided in their hearts they're trying to kill Him. And the Sadducees who were in control of the Temple Mount, they were controlled by the Roman government. And so you got the Sadducees and the Roman government in cahoots. Don't you know they are watching everything very, very closely to make sure things don't get out of hand because that would get really crazy in the festival. And so they are, they are all keeping an eye on Jesus and the crowds are shouting. It's from Psalm 118, Hosanna. It means save now, Lord. That they had seen the authority. They had seen His teaching. They had seen His, his miracles all throughout the land. They had great hopes of who Jesus would be for them. Because what they're looking for is they are want a national ruler. They want one that's going to free them from Roman bondage and Roman oppression. They are looking for someone to set up the earthly kingdom of Israel, the, the kingdom of David again. They are looking to overturn Roman rule. And they are. this is what they're looking for for their king. Someone who is going to restore Israel and set up the kingdom on earth. They want this national ruler. They had all kinds of hopes of who Jesus would be for them. But as we'll see in a moment, the crowds soon disappear. Right? They actually disappear really fast. Jesus was not coming to deliver them from Roman rule. His mission was way bigger. Jesus was coming to deliver them from the rule and the reign of sin in their lives that was eating away from their eating away at their souls and was separating them from peace with God and a relationship with God. This is why Jesus has come. The king is entering the city. And he is not coming like the Romans would kind of 
recognize a king coming in. I mean, they're looking for the warrior king, the conqueror. And if we look to Revelation 19, we see Christ will come again. And He will come as conqueror. And He will come on a warrior horse. That He is coming. But first, we see He is coming as a suffering servant. He's coming to lay His life down as the Prince of Peace so that we can have peace. And so we are reminded that lasting peace is found only in King Jesus. You can try every avenue you can find, but there is only peace found in Jesus. This is why Jesus said, John 14, 6, actually He says this in the, in the upper room there, on the eve of His crucifixion, that He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Me. He's the only way. We've been walking through the, uh, it is the Gospel of Acts. It's the good news, right? The book of Acts. And we're walking through that. And where we just left off a a couple weeks ago was that Peter and John had been arrested and detained on the Temple Mount for preaching Jesus. And it was at that Temple Mount that Peter and John boldly and courageously said, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we are saved. Saved. Jesus is the only way to have peace. He's the king of everlasting peace. And so as he has made his triumphal entry to the shouts of Hosanna, cloaks lying down, palm branches. It was so fun seeing the kids come through here waving their palm branches. And, 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 then, and then what's amazing, this amazing transition happens before verse 11. It's like the crowds completely disappear. It, it's, just, it's almost like it's silent. And it's fascinating what happens. Verse 11 says, And he, Christ, entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The crowds have disappeared. It's towards the end of the day. He's on the temple mount. The activities of the temple would be coming to a close, winding down. And here we see King Jesus is standing in the temple and he is observing what his temple had become. Because it had become something that it was never intended to become. I mean, if you think about it, as he comes into this temple, maybe you might have heard of one of those occurrences where Christ comes in and flips the money changers over uh, and, and Christ says that my house was to be a, a house of prayer for all nations, but it's become a den of robbers or a den of thieves. That's going to happen tomorrow. That's going to happen Monday of Holy Week. He's going to do that. But on this day, the end of Palm Sunday, the end of the triumphal entry, the day on which Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is presented as the once and for all sacrifice, He simply looks around. And can you imagine how grieved the Lord was? Because the temple, the quick story on the temple, if you go back to the Old Testament, remember God delivered His people from Egyptian bondage and slavery? Like He rescued them. He rescued His people from their bondage of slavery. God instructs His people to build a tabernacle. The tabernacle is going to basically be a traveling temple. And the purposes of this traveling tabernacle were one, 
to, for God to, to manifest His presence with His people in a powerful, unmistaken, unique way. And not only that, but the tabernacle would be a testimony to the glory of the Lord for all peoples. This was the plan and the purpose of the tabernacle. And if we fast forward, that King Solomon was able to build the first temple. It was later destroyed, and then it was rebuilt again. The Old Testament teaches us that prior to the time of Christ in the Old Testament, that the glory of God actually departed the temple because basically the people of God traded it in for the favor of man. And it just basically turned into this place where lots of ceremonies and festivals take place, but the glory of God had departed. Now, here's what's amazing in the text. If we go to John 1, verse 1, the Bible says this, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you fast forward to verse 14, it says the Word became flesh, this is Jesus, and dwelt among us. That same Word that used, is used for dwelt is the same Word used for tabernacle. And so if you think about this, is Jesus Christ is the God-man, God the Son, and that He has come, the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. God's presence manifests through Him like no other. He is the glory of God because He is God. And in this text, this scene, we see the glory of God returning to the temple. And as He looks around, I can only imagine how grieved He is as He looks across and sees what it has become. And so... Jesus, early in his ministry as well, said this in John 2, 19, 20. He says, Jesus was answering the question. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when therefore he had raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. There's so much here. But here is, is a point of application that I would encourage us to take in this text. Is that Jesus told us upon his ascension that in not many days from now he would send his spirit. The Bible teaches us that his spirit will indwell us. It will be his presence in us. And that we will be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The New Testament teaches us that because we, 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 within us, within our souls, the power of the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Guess what that means? We are a temple. We are, the Bible says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. And so the, the, the challenge and the encouragement comes as this. Is that we have as believers the presence of God dwelling in us. Living inside of us. And that we would take a moment this morning as we're reminded of Jesus Christ. And His glory and His presence standing in that temple. That Christ would examine our hearts and our minds in the temple. And that what would he see? What does he see? 
that have, have, have not, not obviously apples and apples or we have money changers set up in our souls or anything, but, but, but the reality is, 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 is it is very easy to build idols in our lives. And so, so it could be as we ask the Holy Spirit to search our heart, search our mind, that, that, that perhaps there are idols Maybe we're wanting to ignore, or maybe we just know they're there. It could be the idol of money, and so that has become the most important thing. And because it's the most important thing, you do everything you can to satisfy that need. Or it, maybe you think it's a relationship, an idol of a relationship. That has become the most important thing in your life. And so your life becomes all about that. Or it can be the idol of self. And self is up there. That's when you're the most important thing in your world. And for the believer who has been bought and purchased with the blood of Jesus, we are missing out on the great peace that comes when we tear down these idols, we repent of the sin that we know is in our lives, and trust Him with all of our hearts to bring refreshing to our souls. God's presence with us. And so the encouragement here is, God, shine your Holy Spirit all through my heart, all through my life, all through my mind, has my life and my purpose become something other than you. God, help and praise God for His grace to rescue us and guide us in that. Another encouragement that we see in this text is that He's in control. He's in control. Be encouraged. There's a lot of comfort when you know who's in control. We had a big storm last night. Um... Everybody make it all right through there, okay? Um, it was a crazy one. It was wild. I remember growing up, and, uh, and, and when a really bad storm would come in, as long as I heard my dad say, it's okay, don't worry about it, I was good. I was gold. I don't know that worked so well when I told my kids that last night. It's like, it's okay, it's okay. But, but as long as my daddy said, it's all right. You don't have to be afraid. I was good. Daddy said it, I'm good. Daddy says it. It's good. He's in control. He's in control. Those things that we want to control that we don't have any control over, it's okay. By God's grace, wisdom, strength, we do everything in the power of His Spirit that He shows us, and we trust Him with everything else. We trust Him with everything else because He's trustworthy, and we can trust Him. And the last thing I would share is that perhaps you're here today, or maybe you're listening in online and that, and that there is a lack of peace in your life because there is a lack of relationship with Jesus in your life. And it is true. It is true that, that we try to find peace in many different ways. But it's true. There is only peace found in a relationship with the Prince of Peace. And so it could be today that you're here and you are living apart from a relationship with King Jesus. And King Jesus came. He came to seek and to save. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That He came and He took a path for our peace. And it took Him down the Mount of Olives, and it took Him into the temple, and it took Him on a cross, and it took Him to a tomb, and it took Him to the resurrection from the grave, bringing victory over death, hell, and the grave. And the Bible teaches us that our sin separates us from God. But the Bible says, it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
that, that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will have peace. Because you have a relationship. Jesus came so we could have peace. And so we have the sin that separates us. There's nothing we can do or earn to have peace with God. So what did God do? He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sin, to be the ultimate Passover Lamb. The once and for all Passover Lamb. And in that, when we acknowledge our need for a Savior and understand our sin, the Bible says we are to repent of that. It means to have a change of mind, a change of direction. And so we change our mind about sin and we change our direction to King Jesus and we believe that He came, we believe that He died on the cross on the sin, we believe that He rose from the dead and we place our faith and trust in Him and He promises to save us. And there's peace found in no other way. Praise God for the Prince of Peace. Praise God for Palm Sunday. And there's much to celebrate today. There's much to celebrate. And all through this week, we'll be taking steps toward Good Friday. We'll be taking steps toward Easter Sunday. But I love this. I love this passage and that Christ is presenting Himself as the Savior of the world, the true Passover Lamb. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for uh, this opportunity, this opportunity to worship. God, thank You for all we've been able to see and experience. God, for our early service at 8 a.m., the Sunday school hour, relational sharing of life and investing taking place. And now we gather around the Word and we gather in song and we worship You because... You're the only one who's worthy of our worship. So, Father, I pray that as believers, for the believers in the room, that this time would not just, you know, we wouldn't just run away from this time, but we would rather ask You and Your Holy Spirit to shine Your light in our hearts and in our minds. God, Your Bible teaches us we are, as believers, the temple of the Holy Spirit, Your presence living in us. And God, show us those areas in our life, those perhaps idols in our life that honestly, they need to be flipped over. They need to be cleaned out so that, so that we can live lives that you've designed us for. Life's for your glory, life for your mission. God, I pray for those in the room today, listening in online today that have a lack of peace in their life, anxiety, it's real. There are a lot of stresses, a lot of anxieties in this world. But I pray that we will find our rest in you, the Prince of Peace. Only you can give lasting peace. And Father, I do pray for anyone here who doesn't have a relationship with you, that today would be the day that they would acknowledge their sin, that they would repent of their sin, and they would turn and place their faith and trust in you as the Lord of all. To believe the death and the burial and the resurrection makes a way for us to have peace with you. To be forgiven of our sin. To no longer be enemies of God. To be at peace with God. A friend of God. And Father, to not live life in our own strength, but the strength of your Holy Spirit. To live life for a purpose that's way bigger than ourselves. And to spend eternity with you forever and ever and ever. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.